um, th these 40 years isn't really, it is not our story. It's really um, the Lord's story. It's the grace of God in all of this. And we look at, I look back at 40, I mean, I never, this is what I did, did know. This was the thing that the Lord had laid upon my heart, that I was to give myself to a community, to a place, and, uh, and, and we would give our life to it, and we wanted to be in the place that God had called us. And it, many of you know, if you've been to our DYC, the miracle that happened, and uh, the miraculous way that the Lord brought us here. And uh, because it was so incredibly miraculous that um, we, through the years, um, any opportunities that seemed to come our way for uh, other options um, always had to pass, go through the test of, is this God? And we had such a clarity that when it was the Lord, um, you know, bringing us into that place, that we, we at that point recognized that we could not move unless it was very, very clear. And I guess God didn't want us to go anyplace else because maybe we would ruin that. I don't know. But we, he kept us here. And the, the, the reason that we have been here for 40 years is simply because of the grace of God and a wonderful church. I mean, we didn't, we didn't ever really want to leave the people that we've been able to share and, and life with all these years. And there's so many here that we've been able to do that with. And it's just such a great, great gift that God has given us. It's good to see some folks that, um, you know, some of you, uh, I've seen some, some of you had to drive in from, you've moved and you came back. And I'm thankful that you're here. And I'm grateful for so many that have, have a story here in our church. I, I want to share a few things. I want to. I want to. I want to. I, I told the um, the staff because as uh, Cindy was working and others were working about Carolyn and so forth on this, I said I don't want it to be a memorial service. <coughs> you know, <coughs> we're not dying. <laughs> we're just. You know, I, I. We still have plans. I still have a. We still have a future. And, uh, and I, I want to I share with you a little bit about that future I believe that God has for us. I want to talk about the church. I, was, I, I had this great story, and this morning, as I was walking in, Victor Rodriguez, kind of we bumped into each other, and he told me Tom was coming. And, uh, and, and it brought a, to memory, Tom, you, you remember Victor, uh, a story before I was a pastor when we were um, youth pastors. And, and when I'm ta we talk about the church, what, what, what Jesus says about the church, there, there was a great example. When I was a youth pastor, the, there were two young, young men um, that were in my youth group, two of them, um, Victor and, and Tom, and uh, we had talked about getting out. We, we were using the illustration of how you take ground in Jesus' name. And uh, there was a, a, a message that uh, we were talking about uh, the power of prayer and taking ground and, and walking around your school and praying. And, uh, and they took it. I mean, and they did. They got up early in the morning and, uh, and they went down to their high school 
uh, Santa Fe High School. And uh, t don't tell me if I get it wrong here. I'm, you know, just only if it's major. But um, they, they, were they would walk around the school early in the morning before anybody would get there and pray. And they started doing that. And then Tom lived across the street from the school, and uh, they decided to do it at lunchtime too and go to, to the house across the street and have prayer. And, and they would have prayer in the backyard. And, and a, as they were going, someone, one of the guys in the, uh, at school said, hey, where are you guys going? They said, well, we're going across the street. We're going to pray. He said, can we go? Can I come with you? And so they came. And, uh, and in five weeks, that backyard had 125 kids that were there and they were there and there was prayer meeting, there was Bible study and Victor and Tom really didn't know how to teach but they read the Bible. There's something about that. They read the Bible and then they shared a little bit and they were meeting every week and there were, there were uh, uh, teachers, I believe, was it a principal or a vice principal, a coach that got saved, all these people that, that, the, that were transformed. In fact, the principal called me into the office, and, and uh, he w I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. Because uh, I would meet there one, about once a week, just show up, and I'd do a Bible study when we were there. And, uh, and so uh, called me in the office and said, uh, our school has been transformed. Our kids, the kids that have been um, some of the worst kids in the school, um, are changed because Jesus has made a difference in in that school. Now that was one story. Actually, we had at the time five uh, on-campus Bible studies, and there were good things happening in the other Bible schools as well. But this was a dramatic and dynamic work of God that I believe is normal, not abnormal. I believe it's supposed to be normal, not abnormal. That, that what God has called the church to be is to be a dynamic, powerful movement that is changing the world. And, um, and so what I want to do this morning is I, I'm going to take you to the Bible. Is that Okay. Because uh, I think we're done talking about us, and I want to talk about Jesus, and I want to talk about God's Word. And so, take a look at um, where we're going is we're going to, uh, well, well, we're going to go into Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to start with uh, one verse in, in, in chapter 15 to give us uh, kind of where it's, where it's at. It. it the, the scripture, Jesus was teaching and ministering, and in, in verse 39 of chapter 15, it said that he had gotten in a boat and came to the region of Magdala, Magdala. And then, uh, and then uh, there, there's a, a, a season of Jesus doing miracles and doing, and preaching and so forth. And then in verse 13 of chapter 16, that's where we're really starting in this story, um, it says that Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus is going to gather the disciples and 
and they are, he's going to teach them something they would never forget. It would be a dramatic, dynamic, a very important teaching time for the disciples. And so he takes them from, and, and, and the reason I, I bring that up is because there's a 17-mile trip. I want to show the map. Um, from Magdala. Magdala was actually where um, the um, Mary Magdalene was from, Magdala. And, uh, and, and so um, the, 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 the point of the Sea of Galilee up, up to Caesarea Philippi is a 17-mile trek. It's a two-day you know, walk, pretty much, and up, up the, that hill. And, uh, and so as they are doing that, we don't hear much of anything else that Jesus is doing. And he goes up and he takes them to a place where he is going to do this teaching. So this is, I don't know what, you know, they're probably talking along the way and, and so forth. And as they get there and then he stops, we can see that they were probably going, what's this about? Okay, we're headed up to this place and uh, in Caesarea Philippi. And he asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I the son of man am? Now, where he's located is really important because of what he's going to teach. He's taken him to a spot where he's going to make, uh, he's going to uh, set an impression in their mind. And, and so he asks a very important question, the second most important question maybe that's ever been asked, and that is, who do men say that I, the son of the man, of man am? And so they, they start to say, you know, things they've heard. Some, some, some say John the Baptist. In fact, Herod said that because he was guilty and he thought, you know, because he had killed John the Baptist, he says he's Jesus. Well, it's kind of hard because they kind of were together many times, so... Um, he, but he, but he, he, was, he was confused, and uh, some Elijah and others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And then he asked them, I think, the number one most important question, and that is, who do you say that I am? And that, that question is the question that rings, should ring the loudest, and uh, it was for them, because now he was asking them directly, who is, who is, who I am, who am I, what do you think I, who do you think I am? And that question, by the way, continues to be needed to be asked. And, and the question is, who's going to ask the question now? Jesus asked the question, and we, the world needs that question answered. It needs that question answered, and it needs that question asked. Because that's the most important question. Who is Jesus? It, it's, it, it's, it's not, you know, what's happening next in world events. It's not, you know, how the political scheme of things. Those are important things, but they're not the most important thing. The most important thing is who is Jesus? And so he asked the question, you know, and Simon Peter answered. So maybe they were looking around at each other like, you know, who's going to answer this one? And maybe, you know, there's a little trepidation if I answer this one wrong. But Peter always has a, a willingness to respond. And so he says, um, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Beep, you got it. You got it. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. Christ is Messiah. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, um, and Jesus answered and said to him, you're blessed, Simon. You're blessed. How many know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? You see somebody with their hand up? Keep your hand up. See somebody with their hand up? Why don't you just turn to them and go, you're blessed. You are blessed. You are a blessed person. You're blessed. And then to make sure, kind of like that Peter, you know, stays humble or understands, um, he says, um, it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed that to you. It was my, my father in heaven. That's how, you, that's how you know. God has graced you. The father has shown you. He's revealed it to you. I, I hope that makes you feel special. It should. If you know that truth, you are blessed. No matter what you go through in life, no matter what you've experienced in life negatively of any, in any, at any capacity, if you know that, you're blessed. You're some, you have something incredibly special. Do you know how blessed you are? And, and, and then Jesus says, and I, I, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this rock I will build my church. I, uh, it's, it's Peter on this rock. This is the rock. Now, there has been um, the idea that because Peter's name means rock or small pebble, that he was saying that Peter is the one he's going to build the rock, build the church on, because on this rock I will build my church. And, uh, and the Catholic Church believes that, believes Peter was, in fact, the first pope, and so he started the church, and church was built upon Peter, though Peter never ever said that of himself. In fact, uh, the apostles, none of them ever said that about Peter. There was never any reference to that, um, because, um, and, and what we see in, in the, uh, the, 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 the Greek language is that when Peter is actually a, a more of a pebble. It's a small, small rock. But when he says upon this rock, the word is, that's used is a big boulder or a big, a huge, a huge, uh, uh, even, uh, even up to, uh, you know, a, a mountain. It's a, it's, this is a huge rock. So it's not on Peter that it's built. In fact, Peter knew that. In fact, as he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Come to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. This is Peter talking. And he says, You also as living stones are being built up, uh, uh, up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Now he quotes Scripture. He's quoting Psalms 118 and Isaiah 8. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. I was just kind of waiting. A chief, a chief cornerstone. <laughs> elected and precious. Elected and precious. He's the chief cornerstone. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. See, he is. Who, who's the stone? Jesus. Jesus. And the confession that Peter made, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, it's you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. In Isaiah 44, 8, it says, do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from the time I declare it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. There it is. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It always has been. And, and he says, I will build my church. Okay, here we are. Everybody say church. 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 Church is, is church important? Is church valuable? So we've just gone through a time in which the church has been a non-essential. Uh, we were told, we were told, you know, um, the liquor store down the street, that's essential. We were told Home Depot and, and, uh, and Lowe's, that's essential. Costco's essential, yeah. I, I would agree with that. <coughs> but... You know, and, and if we really wanted to gather, it, we could just say, everybody, let's meet in the, uh, in the lumber department at Home Depot, and we could have church. But other than that, we were told that we're not essential, and, and, and I don't buy that. And I'm grateful for the Supreme Court knocking that down a couple of times in California, dealing with that, confronting that at some point. And, uh, but whether they did or not, whether the, the powers that be declare that we're non-essential or not, we are the most essential. And I say that not just as a pride issue, but because Jesus is the one who built the church. And Jesus is the one who tells us the importance of the church. The church carries the message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is the most important thing that the world can know. And, and if, the church is, if the church doesn't carry it, well, then the church has no value in it. The church is valuable. It's essential. The church is changing the world. The church is used by God to push back against evil. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. God uses the church. And, and the church is essential for all of us. Jesus, Jesus said, I will build 
let's, don't miss this. He didn't say, I'll build the church. He said, I'll build my church. Now, the word he, he uses, the, the, our, our, the new, new, te- new covenant, New Testament says, uh, the Greek word is ekklesia. It's the called out ones. And he loves his church. Jesus loves the church. And, uh, and he wants us to love the church. We, he wants us to love what he loves. And this church, the church that he loves, is full of really flawed people. So, some, sometimes it, it has hypocrites in it. And, and sometimes people who are selfish and sometimes people who are far from looking like Jesus. And somehow Jesus still loves the church. And, and you know what? When the church gathers to glorify him and worship him, you know what he does? He shows up specially. I mean, he's always in the church, but he shows up special in those occasions to bring his glory in spite of all the, all, the, all the ugliness sometimes of the church. But there's something beautiful about the church. And that is that God is transforming it continually. And every generation gets a new fresh look and a new fresh work of God. And every individual that is in the church is being transformed from glory to glory, the scripture says. And he that began a good work in you is going to complete it. And it's all going to be happening. And, and, and so the church is filled with a bunch of, a, a, a bunch of human beings with all their flaws, and they're getting better. You see, they're getting better. And it might take longer for some than others for transition to happen because some just have, are hard-headed, and God has to work extra hard to make that transformation happening. And I'm not looking and pointing fingers out there. I've got four pointed at me. I know how that works in our life. But God is working in the church. The idea of the church actually was not new. As the disciples are hearing Jesus use the word church, it wasn't the first time. Now, obviously, in fact, in the Old Testament, there was a gathering of believers, and they would have considered that. The Septuagint translates that in Greek to the word church as well, ecclesia. But this word was a word that was commonly used in Rome, it, among the, in the political system of Rome. So when they were hearing Jesus say, I will build my church, they had heard the word ecclesia before. In fact, an ecclesia was a kind of a cabinet of people, rulers, under the king whose soul goal and responsibility was to fulfill the king's desire. So whatever the king wanted to be implemented in the kingdom, he would tell his church, his ecclesia. Now Jesus says, I'm not building that ecclesia. I'm building my ecclesia, my church. My church is the people who are carrying out 
my vision, my dream, my, my, you know, what I desire to have happen. See, I was considering sharing, we, we have a mission statement at, at the Cornerstone, and we get it from the Great Commission, and our mission statement is very simple, helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It's very simple. That's our mission statement. But let me tell you, it's not our vision, and it's not even our mission statement that's important. It really is his. It's all about what Jesus wants. He, we're his church, and our responsibility is to carry out whatever he wants, whatever he desires to have happen. And that's what our dream is now, and that's what our dream is for the future, that we would continue to do that, to carry out the dream of Jesus. And Jesus says this, he says, I'm going to build my church. And I want you to notice this, the gates of Hades, or hell, is some translation, but it's Hades, that's the place of the dead, shall not prevail against it. Now, Jesus, I told you, Jesus had taken them 17 miles to a particular place. And some of you know, I've, I've taught this before, uh, a little bit about that location. In fact, whenever we go to Israel, we always show up there. We go to Caesarea Philippi, and we go to a place that is oftentimes even referred to as the gates of hell. It was referred to that because it, is a, it, is a, it was a worship place for all these false pagan religions throughout over a 300-year period. And, and uh, and it was the starting place of the Jordan River. Think about this. When, when you look at the Jordan River, which feeds, you know, all of Israel, um, from this, it's a cave. There's a, uh, there's, it's a spring that comes up and starts the, 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 through the Jordan River. In fact, I, I think we have a, a picture of that. And so you can see the water flow right there. But it, the spring comes up. And it fills from that cave, and it brings it down through into the Jordan River. And that location, obviously, because it's so important, uh, pagan, you know, religious uh, people would go there because they consider it to be where everything starts. In fact, they started to wor they worshipped a pagan god named Pan, and. Uh, and in, in that pagan, in that mindset, they believed uh, that Pan was a god of fertility, and they worship. They worship this god in, 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 in some really horrible ways, in fact, because if they weren't getting what they felt they needed, they would sacrifice animals, and then if that didn't work, they would sacrifice children. And there was a whole process they went through in doing that. Uh, it was changed. Um, to Caesarea Philippi because uh, Herod's son Philip renamed it. And uh, there was a temple there to, to Pan. So Jesus takes them there. And as he's, as he's speaking, as he's talking, and he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He's standing in front of the gates of hell and the place of the pagan worship and the false gods that worship throughout 
that area. In fact, go, uh, this, this picture right here, you can see these little cutout places where they would put in their false gods, and they're all over that whole uh, cliff there, and they would put, put their little false uh, you know, idols in there, and they'd worship all these different gods at that location, the gates of hell. Now, when Jesus told them that, um, he was saying, the, you know, the gates, they can't prevail. What do gates do? They keep people out or they open to let people in. See, I want you to see the mindset of Christ about the church. The, the, the church, the church is not in a defensive mode. That's the way too much the church has postured itself. We posture ourselves as, you know, we just have to, you know, survive. Look, look at what's happening. Look what's happening to the church. Look what's happening to us. Look what's going on. You know, and we're looking at the negative kind of things that are constantly pressing against the church. And that becomes our focus. And we become more kind of, you know, we just want our place where we can come together and worship. And we can have our nice little gathering. And maybe we can invite some folks to our place. And, and, and things, you know, good could happen in their life and, and all of that. I, I love the, the visual that we had in our men's group uh, yesterday where, when Mark Shee was sharing. And he was talking about the church in this age. There's a transformation happening. There, there is a transformation. And we're, we're heading toward, and, and I, believe, uh, I believe we are heading for, I've been saying this, I believe we're heading for a tremendous revival. But I also know that, the, that there is uh, an attempt to shut gates that we should be walking into. And the, the enemy would keep that, there would keep things from. And he used the illustration that the church has been, for a while, it's been a, um, a cruise ship. You know, you get on the cruise ship and it has all this stuff that's for us. You know, the, the cruise ship, you, you, you've ever been on a cruise ship? And uh, it, it, just thinking about a cruise ship makes you hungry. I mean, it's all about eating and, you know, the cruise, that, that's, that's kind of what it's all about and, and it's stuff. And then there's shows and plenty of shows and, and, uh, and fog and, you know, fog machines and lights and all kinds of things that attract us to, to things. He said, the church is not to be a cruise ship. It's to be a battleship. I agree with that. I believe that the church is supposed to be taking ground. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a force. And, and, and when he said the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not prevail against us, it is this. Those gates can't close us off. The church will break through. They, they're not strong enough to close us off. We can kick the gates down. And that's what, when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against us, if the church sees who it is, 
then the church will in fact be an offensive force taking ground and not a defensive force trying to keep ground from being taken from us. That we might, you know, get up early and go to the high school and walk around it and pray and take ground. Or a neighborhood. Or wherever, or a workplace. And I've seen that happen where guys have woke up and said, you know, I don't like where I'm working. I remember this guy asking me, he said, he said, um, you know, I pray for me that I, I would get another job. I, I don't like, and I said, why? He said, well, nobody, there's no Christians there. And, you know, it, it's really a hard place. They're, you know, they're, they're all drinkers and cussers and all of that. What was interesting is this guy used to be one of those guys. And Jesus changed him. But now he wants out. And I said, no, I'm not going to pray that prayer. I'm not going to pray that prayer. I'll pray that you, you see a change. And I, I suggested to him, go and pray. Do what I did. Actually, when I worked in a machine shop, that's what I did. I went there early. I got in, drove up in my car, and I would pray for the place. And then I got, would get up and walk around the building. And at one point, we had a Bible study with 22 guys in it. It started off, the, I could not find a Christian in the entire, in the entire building. But then we started a lunchtime thing. I found a Christian, and we started reading the Bible, keeping our Bibles open at lunchtime. And pretty soon, different ones came. Eventually, we had 22 guys coming there. Now, that, I, no, there's nothing to clap. I mean, it, that, I believe that's, should, that's normal. That's normal. That's not abnormal. That's nothing, that, that should just be because the church is not a defensive position it's in an offensive position we knock down gates the gates of hell will not prevail against us and when the church is is it understands who it is and that's let me tell you church that's where we're going if you wonder what were we where are we headed we've been doing this for a while we've gone through some old testament studies about war. What, why is there so much war in the Old Testament? In fact, some people really kind of discredit the Old Testament because there's so much war. Why would a loving God talk about war all the time? Because every part of it is for our learning. And we are all in a spiritual battle and there are spiritual, there's spiritual war that has to be won. And a church that has learned how to war is a church that takes ground and starts to bring defeat to the enemy. And we cannot afford to be in a defensive position. We can't. You know, any football team that is always on defense loses. Once in a while, you have to have the ball. You know? And any army that's always in defense is going to lose. You, you have to be moving forward. And, and, and this is where we, this is why we're spending time, we're mo spending more time. This is, this is what I really want us to do over the next two or three months. I want to get all of, every, every, every person in our church battle ready. 
battle ready. To know how, uh, every person in our church, to know how to take ground, not to just keep from get, having ground taken from us. It's interesting, as Jesus shares that, and there's a temple there. In the first century, you know, after Jesus had gone, there was such a move of God that a first century church was built. The temple, I don't know how the temple got down, torn down, fell down, we don't know. But this is what we know is a first century church was built there. In fact, the, the, the early church father Eusebius writes about it. Not only that, he said that the woman who was healed with the issue of blood actually was part of, she donated a statue of Christ that was placed there in the, the, the church that was there. In, uh, uh, in around uh, two, uh, 300, uh, a little, little beyond uh, 300, the four, in uh, the fourth century um, church, it, there was a, um, uh, uh, actually ar- archaeologists have found a Byzantine church there as they, um, as, as they've uh, dug up that. And, and what we also discovered was there was an emperor named Justin. He was called Justin the Apostate. And Justin the Apostate, he hated the church, and his goal was to, to bring back paganism. And so what he did is he took out that statue of Jesus and he placed the statue of himself to be worshipped. And here's the story. Not long after that, lightning hit and broke the statue apart. And the people there never picked up the statue, just let it lay as a reminder to everyone there's only one God, Jesus Christ. Folks, that place that Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail, a church was established there for at least 300 to 400 years, at least. And uh, why? Because, because the church, if it uses what God's given, always has to be moving forward. In Matthew 6, 19, I'm about done here. Matthew 6, 19 says, I will give you the keys. And, uh, and I will give you the keys. I, I, and the word is plural, not, not singular. What do, what do keys do? They open doors. They open doors. So I'm going to give you the keys. They open prison doors. They open doors for, for yeah, you know, Peter was in prison. He, he, door was open to him. Paul was in prison. Door was open to him. What, what were they doing when those doors were open? Peter was praying and the disciples were praying when Paul was released. They were singing and worshiping. There are keys given to us. We don't have time to go through all those, but, but we're going to learn about those keys. Because we, we want to know how to, how, how can we break the gates open? 
because we need to. We need to bring, break the gates open in our, in our communities and, and in, our, well, in our households even. So I'll give you the king, keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Why does anybody need to bind and loose anything? The answer to that question is kind of important. See, if someone is bound, then they are hindered from doing something. And if someone is loosed, they are freed to do something. There are some things that need to be bound, don't you think? Yeah, that probably you, you know what the, some of those things are that just need to be bound. And there are some things that need to be loosed, right? Absolutely. Isn't that right, Sean? Absolutely. We need to be a battleship. And then he tells, some, tells them not to, not to tell anybody. And then he starts talking about how he's going to go to the cross. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 Lord. Which is kind of crazy. I mean, no, Lord? That doesn't quite fit. You, know, you don't say no, Lord. It's always yes, Lord. But he says, no, Lord. And, and, and Jesus calls him, he says, Satan, get behind me. How do you like that? Don't tell Jesus not to go to the cross. He's going. He's going to make the sacrifice. But he doesn't stop there in the text. And then he starts talking to the disciples about taking up their own cross and following him which I don't think is, I don't think it, that, that truth is not commuted, communicated enough in the church. Because in a cruise ship, you just want to be comfortable. But in a battleship, it's not about comfort. It's about winning. About warfare. So I want to ask you, what seems like a more fruitful life to you? Being the most comfortable you can be? I'm just ask you. Does that seem like I mean is that, what excites you? can't wait to get in my my lounge chair does that excite you well sometimes right yeah sometimes yeah lounge chair sounds good bed sounds good but do you want to live there or you just want to visit it once in a while or what about a life that is constantly needing and invoking the power of God because that life needs God every day. And every day, you're part of making a huge difference in the world that you live. For your neighborhood, for your workplace, for your community. That you see miracles happen because you're willing to get up early, maybe. 
and walk and pray and seek God. Because if all you're about is finding safety, security, and comfort, you're not a force, you're a weight. To the church. You want more than that, don't you? I do. I think we all do. So, um, I don't, I'm done looking back. 40 years were wonderful. Just, I'm done looking back, okay? I mean, I'll, I'll visit it once in a while and thank God for what he's done. I've learned a lot back there, so I'll use some of that. But I don't, I'm not living there. I'm going to get the guns out. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Let's do that, church. Let's do that. Father, that's what we want. We want to get the guns out. We want to serve you. We want to, Lord, we want to take, Lord, we want to take places that we've never taken before. We want, we want our vision. We want, we want to see things, Lord. We want you to show us things and places to go with our faith that, Lord, um, we, we want to see gates that need to be knocked over, Lord. And st- that you stand them before us and we see them and we have the faith to believe that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask my family to come up. My family, unfortunately, a big part of it, them are sick. Nicole, Mayo, Nicole and JJ and their four children are are sick. But my kids, let me tell you about my kids. They have served in this church all of them since they were little. Carolyn at five years old, this, this, Carolyn at five years old, yeah, and Paul and, and Teresa and family come on up and, and Tiffany and, where's Tiff? What, oh, okay. And because um, we have our, an extended part of our family as well, but our, and Carolyn at five years old, comes home from, sin, from church um, a couple weeks into it. And uh, Carol sees that she has these little baggies she ha- has, and she's putting stuff in it. And Carol goes, what, what's that? She says, well, somebody's got to do something about Sunday school. <laughs> they, don't have any, they don't have any craft. They don't do anything. Well, the church didn't have any kids. That's, that helped, that's one of the reasons. And so she was already... Now she runs our children's ministry and have for years, so it never stopped, you know. <clears throat> but that's true of all of our kids. Cindy and her, full oh, she's been for, you know, and Nicole and her ministry with the worship, and Katie has done all through the youth the times, and oh, oh, I, yes, I, they're all scary. I understand that. And, uh, and Chris, boy, Chris would, Chris um, 
Chris has always been our behind-the-scenes guy, you know, and uh, and he, through the years, just, you know, pick up and do something. He'd make the, you know, make the sound work and overhead and do all those kinds of things, technical, and and uh, and then we, you know, we see uh, Paul and, and, uh, and Teresa too, but Paul serving, and when did you start, what, were you worship, you were a worship leader, in, was it children, or, five. Five, yeah, <laughs> something like that, he was, he was already leading worship, 11 or 12, yeah, started leading worship, because we do that, if you go in our worship, <laughs> if you go and watch the kids in our, in our children's ministry, you'll see children leading worship, and those children will be the ones that will be leading worship uh, here in, in, in no time, and Tiffany's been a part of that, and Tiff, Tiffany's dad um, and, uh, her, and, and Renetta, many of you know, um, my best buddy, we came to church together, started, we, we uh, started out, and uh, then the, and the kids came along, and, um, and so if he's gone to be with the Lord, and uh, Renetta is up north with Christy um, right now, so she couldn't be here because of a, a wedding uh, responsibility, but uh, but. Joe and Scott and, you know, just the, the, the whole group. I want you to see them because they have had such an influence in the ministry. It's not just been me and Carol. And they've made sacrifices. And for those of you who think, you know, my kid doesn't want to come to church. Should I make them? I did. It, it it didn't it didn't hurt it didn't hurt them it didn't hurt them it didn't hurt them but um can we just say to you i just say to you um thank you church for being the church because when i talk about a church that is thinking you know taking ground this church thinks that way thank you thank you and thank you for celebrating with us Let's stand together. Do we, do we, do we, do we close on anything? We do something? Yeah. We're blessed to have our choir with us today, right? Yeah, so with us. Tell someone next to you a joke for like 10 seconds.
Celebration like all good celebrations with a bunch of food on the patio. I want to remind you of a couple of things before we dismiss. There's no cards out there for you all to sign if you were here. And can we just say grace over the food real quick before we, we exit? Lord, thank you for this day of celebration. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness and all that you provide. God bless this food and this time of fellowship, we pray. And Lord, we pray and speak a blessing over our pastors, Rick and Carol. Bless them abundantly with favor and grace. And even more than you've done, God, you will continue to do more. We believe it and we have faith for it. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, y'all agree, church? Amen. 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 God bless you. Get your food. And I've got this hope in my soul. Just begun, the best is yet to come.